Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. Today's topic will be a subject that's near and dear to almost everyone, and that topic is money. P.T. Barnum is quoted as saying, Money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. And Will Rogers said, The quickest way to double your money is to fold it in half and put it back in your pocket. I was recently reflecting on my own personal investing history and all of the changes that have occurred in currency designations and investing over the last 50 plus years of my own investing lifetime. It's been a really interesting ride, but money and investing have been around a lot longer than me. So today we're going to take a little walk down memory lane through my own investing career, but first I want to provide a little historical perspective by taking a historical look at both money and investing. Throughout history, man has sought ways to store, preserve, create, and transfer wealth. These methods of wealth preservation and transfer have changed radically throughout history. Before the creation of what we now term money, bartering was the first and the easiest method of monetary transfer. Bartering describes a system where goods and services were transferred directly between parties without the use of monetary articles, what we now term money. Goods or services were transferred directly from one party to a second party in return for goods or services from the second party. For example, one person raises chickens while a second person is a wheat farmer. The chicken farmer trades fresh eggs to the wheat farmer in return for grain from the wheat farmer. The wheat farmer now has fresh eggs for his family while the chicken farmer gets grain to feed his chickens and wheat for bread. Bartering slowly evolved over the centuries into a type of currency using easily traded items like animal skins, salt, and weapons. These goods became a medium of exchange even though the value of each of these items could still be negotiated. This bartering system of trade still survives today in some parts of the world. In many cases, these items of barter such as animal skins and salt and weapons, were big, bulky, and hard to transport. Taking a bale of animal skins or a 20-pound block of salt to the local farmer's market to barter for your necessities didn't really seem like an elegant way to trade goods. So this led to a secondary form of currency that was more mobile and less bulky than animal skins, weapons, or salt, and this was termed money or hard assets. So now the chicken farmer who needed wheat could go to the wheat farmer who may or may not need eggs and say, I need wheat, and instead of bringing eggs, I brought these small tokens that I'll call coins. Each of these coins can be redeemed at my farm for two eggs. And in this manner, the chicken farmer has created something of value that he can carry around that represents the value of his eggs, but is much smaller and much more mobile. 
The oldest known coins were minted in the Henan province of China in 640 B.C. The coins minted were called spade coins because they were minted in the shape of a spade-like form implement. In 600 B.C. in Greece, King Alyates minted the Lydian stator. The coins were made from electrum, a mixture of silver and gold that occurs naturally. Coins were stamped with pictures to designate particular denominations. Due to their versatility and mobility, coins eventually surpassed bartering as the most common medium of exchange and stayed that way for approximately 2,000 years. Even coins, as small and mobile as they are, were still big and bulky for larger transactions. In approximately 1260 A.D., about 2,000 years after the introduction of hard assets as a medium of exchange, the first paper currency appeared in the Yuan dynasty of China. Even though parts of Europe still used metal coins as their sole form of currency until well into the 16th century, by 1271 A.D., the emperor of China was aware of both the Chinese money supply and the denominations. Eventually, European banks started using paper currency. These banknotes could be exchanged for their face value in metal, usually gold or silver, at a bank. Most currency at this time was privately issued by banks or private institutions instead of governments. 21st century electronic technology allowed the introduction of mobile payments. Mobile payments allowed funds to be transferred electronically to pay for goods and services. This same technology can be used to transfer funds to another individual or an institution. EFT, Electronic Funds Transfer Technology, now facilitates payments, check depositing, and point-of-sale transactions. Faced with mobile technology and electronic transactions, there are those who now say that even paper dollars are too big and too bulky for most large modern transactions. And there are those who say that modern technology and electronics allow for much easier oversight and tracking of all financial transactions. There are many who feel that the wave of the future is virtual currency. Bitcoin the most common type of virtual currency is a type of currency that has been recently created and exists only in electronic form. Digital currencies, which are stored and traded using electronic computer technology and software, are operated by decentralized authorities and not governments. Will some type of virtual currency become our dominant medium of exchange and will that medium of exchange become controlled by governments like most other forms of currency have been? Only the future will tell. Let's switch for a few minutes to money's first cousin, investing. Just like money, the concept of investing started many thousands of years ago. Investing's present structure was formulated between the 17th and 18th centuries, this can be attributed to the development of the first public exchanges. The Amsterdam Stock Exchange was established in 1602 and the New York Stock Exchange in 1972. 
the early industrial revolutions of the 18th and 19th centuries created fortunes and prosperity that could be invested. Most of the major investment banks were established in the 1800s. And most of what we currently consider investing in portfolio theory was established in the early 20th century. Stock exchanges were actually created by the Phoenician Trading Network in early recorded history. The New York Stock Exchange traces its origins to the Buttonwood Agreement of 1792. Over the years, the New York Stock Exchange has evolved by modifying and embracing technological advancements to become the largest stock exchange in the world based on market capitalization. The year 1817 saw the formation of the New York Stock and Exchange Board. The New York Stock Exchange and the Open Board of Stockbrokers merged in 1869 to form the modern New York Stock Exchange. From there, we'll move forward to my own investing history. This is not going to be one of those, in my day I walked five miles in the snow to school each day stories. But I hope that these anecdotes convince everyone listening how much easier and more efficient today's technology makes investing. Just think for a second about computers. Computer technology is vitally important in the collection and dissemination of information, both general and financial. It's important to understand that the first commercial computer was not produced until June 14, 1951, the year before I was born. And it's also important to realize that a large portion of the anecdotal information that I'll provide today comes from my personal memory and may or may not be 100% correct. I remember that when I first attended college, the main computer at the school occupied the majority of one whole building. And that building had to be kept at a lower temperature so that the computer would not overheat. All of the computers were DOS-based. That means having a disk operating system. And at this time, all the computer commands had to be typed and entered into the computer. Computers played an important role in the 1970s. Computers and computer technology play an even more important part in today's investing platforms. Computers provide continuous and instantaneous financial information throughout the day. Since computers only became commercially available in 1951, in the financial world of the 60s and 70s, stock quotes, financial information, and financial articles were available in the Wall Street Journal the morning following the previous day's close of the stock market. No internet meant no instantaneous news feeds. Those investors who had inside information or gained earlier access to the Wall Street Journal were at an obvious advantage in terms of being able to invest based on the most current information. In this case, the most current information meant information that was at least 12 hours old and those physically closest to Wall Street were at a huge advantage. Having access to the most current financial information really wasn't of the greatest importance to me during the periods of my college and dental school career because I didn't have any money left over after expenses to divert to investing anyway. I was married between my sophomore and junior year in dental school. My wife and I saved what little money we could to create a small savings account 
for emergencies. It wasn't until I graduated from dental school in 1978 that I was able to begin a more active investment program. Investing strategy at this time consisted of reading the Wall Street Journal, financial magazines, or financial articles in the local news media. Mutual funds were chosen based on historical returns and information gathered from finance articles. It's hard to imagine not being able to Google up any kind of information you want instantaneously, but that's the way it was. The most current information meant the most recent copy of a news and, or finance magazine and or the most recent stock quotes in the Wall Street Journal the day after or the morning after the stock market closed. What we now term MPT or Modern Portfolio Theory, the modern basis for portfolio construction, was first recognized in an article published in 1952. However, Modern portfolio theory did not begin to gain wider traction and wider acceptance until after the creation of the Internet. The recognized birthday of the Internet is January 1, 1983. As with almost every aspect of modern life, the inception and proliferation of the World Wide Web has fostered a golden age of information availability, innovative ideas, and new technology for investing. Prior to the Internet, investment in stock purchases or stock sales had to be completed in person or over the phone with orders made directly to and through a broker with connections to a commercial brokerage concern which was tied to the stock exchange. There was no feasible or available option for individuals who wanted to make investment purchases or to individually buy or sell stocks. All transactions went through a broker, and both sales and purchases usually included a commission to the broker of between 2 and 3%. That means when you bought, you paid the commission to the broker of 2 to 3%, and when you sold, you paid a commission of between 2 and 3% to the same broker. Mutual fund purchases or sales could have commissions included of anywhere between 3% and 6%. Unlike today's age of 0% commissions, when you bought a stock, you had to have at least a 6% gain to even break even to pay for the 3% commission going in and a 3% commission coming out. For mutual fund purchases, it was a little bit easier because the load of 5 to 6% was only paid one time as a front-end load or a back-end load. But you still had that commission that was paid once on every mutual fund purchase or sale. According to a Money Magazine article from 1992, about the time the Internet was just beginning to enter the consumer market, the article detailed that a full-service broker could charge 2.5% commission for a stock trade. The example the Money Magazine article provided was that there was a $250 commission to trade 100 shares of a stock trading at $100 a share. In addition to the consumer, trading itself has benefited from electronic networks that can send trade information through the Internet piping. High-frequency trading, HFT, 
is often the subject of much controversy and is accused of contributing to above-average stock market volatility. However, these traders have also been credited with reducing bid-ask spreads, which is simply the difference in cost that exists when buying, which is the bid price, and selling, which is the asking price of a security. These days, that bid-ask spread is down to pennies, but it used to be a lot wider, and it allowed brokerage firms another opportunity to take money and make money from the investors and place it in their own pockets. Not only has the Internet increased the availability of financial information and services, it has singularly saved hundreds of millions of dollars in transaction fees to investors, both through their advisors and do-it-yourself investing. Making a stock or a mutual fund purchase today only requires you to access your personal account and hit a few buttons. Most transactions don't require the direct oversight of a broker and normally don't generate any transaction fee. And currently, the ability to access the most current and factual information is limited only by the time availability and the desire of any individual investor to look it up instantaneously on the Internet. So that's pretty much where we are now. But what's going to happen in the next 10 years? Well, there's no question that moving forward, there will be an increasing need for some type of secure and stable form of digital currency. As digital technology has matured, governments are taking a harder look at the dissociated ownership of digital currencies. It is likely that in the near future, governments will begin to generate a more secure form of government-sponsored digital currency. In the arena of investing, the most current pressing concern is artificial intelligence or commonly known as AI. Since artificial intelligence can instantaneously access and evaluate all information available on the Internet, will AI eventually make investors obsolete? Does the future of investing become concentrated around competing AI investment platforms? Will AI-generated portfolios compete against each other in real time for market dominance and investor dollars. We, as a people, have gone from metal coins to digital currency and from searching investments in the Wall Street Journal to investing through artificial intelligence technology. I would be lying if I said that I had an adequate answer as to where our future lies. Just looking at the amount and scope of change in investing in the last 40 to 50 years, I can only say that the next 50 years will be incredible and transformational in ways that currently can't be imagined. Hopefully I'll be around to see some of these changes that will transform the world in ways we can't currently comprehend. And now some final thoughts. Money and investing have been around for a long, long time. Before and throughout recorded history, man has sought ways to store, preserve, create, and transfer wealth. Both money and technology have radically changed over time, but at no time has this change been as great as the last 50 years. There will be new and amazing innovations in both money and investing in the near future. And for anyone who's really interested, 
I really didn't walk five miles to school in the snow every day. I've actually only seen snow a handful of times in my whole life. In my next podcast, we'll stay with the finance theme and talk about financial missteps that cost time and money. And as always, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources, and Retiring with Enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with Enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor, or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer.